Welcome back to Pro Running News, Matt and Dave. We're doing a bit of a different uh, episode today where we're not focusing in on one topic. We're going to talk about a few different topics. Uh, we're sort of going to dart around between some different things that we've seen in the media and some interesting uh, situations that have happened in the running world. Um, so, yeah, we can start with a interesting piece of news that you came across earlier in the week in an ultra race. What did you find? Yeah, so a pretty good ultra marathon runner uh, and runner in general. So she's a general practitioner in uh, Great... She's now living in Australia, but she's from Great Britain. Uh, she's represented Great Britain at the Commonwealth Games, I believe, I think came 14th uh, and has set some records in the ultra worlds. Um, and she was... She came third in a trail race uh, and was ultimately disqualified because she'd used a car for a period of time uh, in this. And, uh, you know, obviously very regretful and there's some discussion around, hey... Should she have accepted the third? Should she have done all that? You know, the discussion from her is, yeah, I finished, but, uh, you know, basically what happened was she got driven to an aid station. She, she caught a car because she was sort of out, got to the aid station, uh, and then was convinced to continue running. And this happens a lot at aid stations because volunteers are always like, hey, you don't want to pull out. You're going to regret it. And that's often true because things are hard and you're at an aid station. Like, oh, I don't want to leave. And it's like, no, no, you don't, you know, sort of don't let you quit at that point. She continues running, finishes, comes third, and then it's a you know it's a problem. And she apparently she said, oh, you know, I didn't want to pass second, so I didn't. But you know, anyway, comes third. Um, there's some debate about whether she wanted to do that or not, and and whether she should have accepted prizes and that sort of stuff. She's obviously given them back, but like, did she post? Should she have posted photos, all that stuff? And you know, she's saying uh, she was a bit delusioned, like she was sort of a bit out of it. Um, I don't really want to go into like, did she cheat or not cheat? Like, I think it's pretty clear she cheated. I don't know. Like, I don't really want to talk about her motivations, but it's an interesting thought around this. Like, so she, the reason she got caught is that the race directors were alerted to her having had a cadence of zero, a heart rate that was dropping and a pace that had increased significantly to something like, uh, you know, uh, something like two or three or one minute miles. Um, and this was live on Strava and training peaks. So uh, obviously pretty indicative of caught catching a car. Also the race map showed that she was on a road that wasn't where the, uh, the race went. Mm. So um, yeah, I guess I don't even know what to say. Um, By reading some of her comments, it's uh, yeah, it seems like it was a bit of a, a situation where towards the end of the race, she, I mean, there's a quote here in a BBC article. When I got to the checkpoint, I told them I was pulling out and that I'd been in the car and they said, you'll hate yourself if you stop. So um, then she agreed to carry on in a non-competitive way. She's crossed the line in third yeah. uh, and accepted the trophy. Um, and then uh, it sounds like she sort of wasn't really sure. I mean, you know, we've both been at the end of marathons yeah. when you're pretty depleted. This was a 50-mile race, by the way, so 80K, so yeah. almost double marathon. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not uh, in any way, shape or form backing her, uh, her, her actions, but you're probably not in a very clear mental headspace at that point and you probably don't really know what you're – potentially doing or what's going on. Uh, she did say she was very tired, uh, jet lagged and felt very sick. Um, uh, but yeah, she's accepted the trophy and then she's sort of regretted doing so. And uh, yeah, I mean, the logging of Strava is uh, it pretty much says that she wasn't even really hiding the fact that it yeah. happened. Um, so yeah. Or, or you don't think, like I've seen, I've definitely seen people who haven't thought about things uh, and had them on Strava when they shouldn't have for whatever reason. So I don't know. I'm a bit funny about this. Like I reckon... Yeah, she she probably could have just said like I, I just finished or whatever. Like she, you had to actively go and get up on stage. Like it seems a bit. I'm sorry I got caught more than I'm sorry it happened. I, I'm sorry it happened. I got caught rather than like I'm sorry I did it. But hard to know. And look, this stuff is um, pretty serious. I know you mentioned that when we were talking about this that um, somebody 
It's actually also a doctor had cheated and then ended up um, committing suicide as a result. So mm. look, we, we've all done things we're a bit funny about and, and regret. So like don't want to throw too many stones or anything like that, but uh, it's a bit of a bizarre story to have that. <laughs> also like super interesting. She didn't stop her watch. <laughs> Most yeah. runners did stop her watch no matter what happens. So that's really interesting to me. I sort of, that sort of caught my mind as well. It would be different if you had this like stop point and like a GPS drop or whatever, but yeah, apparently not. Mm-hmm. Who knows? She might have underfueled. She might have just got to that point very delirious. Um, yeah, we don't really know. Don't really have that information. But reading this article, it does sound like, um, <clears throat> yeah, she she really had a, a pretty difficult time processing it all and uh, took the trophy. And then uh, the news, yeah, it were, was uh, was not very kind to her. But yeah, pretty yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Also, also tough. Like she's she's obviously pretty high profile, but having competed, uh, you know, at the Commonwealth Games, so it's a bit yeah. of a thing. And and maybe it's a jumping off point. And, and please send us a DM if. If it's an, something you want us to discuss of whether we should be discussing, you know, transition from uh, trail to road or road to trail or those sort of things, stepping up distances, those sort of things, because there's often questions around that stuff. And, and obviously I, I split my time between the worlds, preferring trail, but doing a ton more road at the moment. So happy to discuss that if that's something you want us to discuss. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it was planned before. There's no indication that it was like a – like yeah. the, the situation that you mentioned about the doctor and I think it was California, it was definitely in the US, where he repeatedly cheated in races and he got caught out because there were certain sections of the course in, pre, in post-race photos that he wasn't in yeah. that people were like, well, if you were running with that pack before and after, why weren't you in this shot? And he got yeah. caught out in that way. That was clearly planned yeah. prior to cheating and that's yeah. when he uh, very sadly uh, took his life afterwards because he got exposed uh, badly in the media from what I understand. Yeah. Um, that was very well and truly planned uh, to cheat to try and improve on his time. This sounds like it sort of just happened in the moment and yeah. she was like, okay, um, maybe she didn't really realise that when she took the car she cut so much of the course. Like, yeah. I don't know. But it doesn't sound like she went into the race with any sort of game plan um, yeah. with this happening, so a bit of a weird one. There's also the famous story of the person who caught the cab during the New York Marathon, obviously, as oh, well. Yeah. That's a pretty famous story. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the internet's undefeated. <laughs> if people want to catch her, they'll catch her these days. Like, yeah. there'll be full threads. People go real detective on it. So um, Yeah, there's some good stories about twins too yeah. uh, out there uh, competing in marathons, doing uh, doing relays, Yeah, uh, trying to be one person yeah. uh, and getting caught. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's all out there to, to find online. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The Real Science of Sport did a really good podcast on, on cheating and different cheating stuff with – um, like anal inserts that vibrated and, you know, like putting weights in fish and all different sports. So obviously this is a running podcast. So, but if you're interested in that, Real Science of Sport podcast has a, a good episode on that. Yeah. But, uh, the next one I wanted to touch on um, is, and we're sort of running media focused and a uh, couple of things that have happened recently, relatively recently, was obviously um, post Boston, uh, for those who watched, keep trying to cross the finish line and sort of, made a beeline, didn't really take a race medal or anything, sort of made a beeline for the tent to the elite area and sort of left from there. And then there was tweets from Jonathan Galt from Let's Run saying like, hey, didn't really talk to the media. We're told he'll talk to us tomorrow morning. Um, and then obviously the the other one that we can talk about is, is Eilish McColgan, who uh, was meant to be Friday morning at the press conference for London and delayed that or decided not to come to that because she was still dealing with a knee injury. turns out uh, she didn't end up running, so it's a very different discussion. But um, I guess the, the question is, like, at what point is that – like, wh- where's the line? Is it okay to not talk to the media? Should we be talking to the media? How empathetic do we need to be? Because, you know, some of the discourse around Kipchoge specifically was, like, that wouldn't be allowed in a team sport, right? In an American team sport, mm. uh, you got to fess up and front up. Granted, at that stage – 
those people give a bunch of cliches and you get nothing out of them and they look really depressed and, you know, classic Marshawn Lynch from the Super Bowl where he had to sit there and he said, you know, thanks for you all coming out. You know, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Uh, any, any questions you ask me, I'm just going to tell you I'm here so I don't get fined and proceeded to have a bunch of questions asked to him and he said, I'm just here so I don't get fined <laughs> for the whole interview at the Super Bowl, pre-Super pre Bowl press conference. So there is definitely like some gray area here and it's hard to navigate. Um, and then, you know, in Kipchoge's interview, if you, if you watch it, we've got a link in the show notes. Day after. Yeah, day after, the morning of. He was very giving with his time and said, I'm happy to sit here as long as you want. But also when they said, oh, you didn't give us any interviews, he said, none of you tried to interview me. But at the same time, like, do you shove a microphone in his face after he's just come seventh and looks a bit disappointed or do you not? Like, how do you yeah. do that? So I think it, yeah, he, he was very uh, almost offended about the idea that he wasn't available to do an interview post-race. Uh, when you watch the footage, he body language certainly didn't seem, I mean, fair enough though. He yeah. just had a bit of a, you know, an, a, an, a situation that was very unexpected uh, to come in uh, sixth and, and run 209, his slowest time for a very long time. And, um, but yeah, I mean, you saw him walk through with his sort of head down, yeah. um, and you know he's this sort of godlike creature to yeah. to the media as well. Of which you know we often just see these uh, very well curated posts on Instagram and on YouTube of him, you know, speaking very with a lot of wisdom. And yeah. I think potentially it was just a bit of a case where like neither neither are right here. Like yeah. uh, Kipchoge probably would have spoken to the camera if someone went up to him, but people just probably just didn't feel like it was the right time yeah. to actually approach him because he was very clearly a bit shocked and disappointed and yeah. he had his head down. He wasn't exactly, you know, looking at, uh, looking for people to chat to and he just walked straight to uh, a member of the NN running team and sort of then just uh, put a towel around himself and seemingly stood around for a minute or two and then walked off. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like he, I don't particularly agree with Jonathan that he was completely like avoiding the media. Yeah. Didn't, didn't really seem like that. Yeah. It just more seemed that he, and fair enough, wasn't really in the mood to chat, uh, was there to do so. But yeah. I just think maybe the media didn't uh, really approach him properly. Yeah. So um, it's, a tough, it's a tough one, right? Because media is what ultimately pay, like eyeballs on what paychecks, right? And media is part of that. So you kind of, it's this symbiotic relationship. It's really difficult to navigate. Um, I personally probably landed on a, thing like, on a situation where I would have liked him to have spoken in the afternoon or evening. Yeah. Right. Boston, he was done by like 12 midday. He could have gone home, eaten, showered, done whatever, grouped his thoughts, had some time to reflect, spoke to Patrick Sang, whatever, and spoken that evening. Yeah. And that would have been pretty reasonable, mm-hmm. um, having done recovery and all that stuff. Um, it's not like he's finishing at 10 p.m. at night. Um, but but again, appreciate, like, it's hard. Like, it, he expects to win. Everyone expects him to win. He knows he's going to come out and get asked, are you going to come back to Boston? What are you going to do about London? I'm oh, sorry, about New York? What about Paris? When are you going to retire? What happened? What went wrong? Um, he definitely got a bit... You can tell there's some media training in there, which is good, which is like, hey, I had a leg problem. Okay, what was the leg problem? Oh, I wasn't sure. Uh, you know, I, I just had a leg problem. It's like, which leg? Oh, left. Oh, which, you know, where was it? I can't say. Oh, you know, what part, upper or lower? Oh, upper. So, like, there's a lot of this sort of to and fro, like, can't say too much. Um, and then it's hard, right? Like, it's obviously English is his second language. And as someone who's learned a language, I wouldn't want to be doing an interview in another language. Um, and, you know, like, how much do you want to give away versus how much do you not? All these things, right? It's such a hard situation. Do you think there's any reason, though, why he wouldn't want... I mean, I personally was a little bit surprised that he didn't have more information on what the problem with his leg was 24 hours later. Yeah. I would have thought from such a high-profile athlete, he would have probably got that checked out really quickly to get some sort of at least a guess. as to yeah. what, I mean, an MRI will show yeah. 100% what it is. Maybe there's not enough time for that, um, at least to get the results back. But you would have thought that 
a physiotherapist there would have been able to do some sort of movement testing and be like, okay, we think we know what this is. I think his response was something like, well, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. That was a pretty strange, yeah. strange thing to say, yeah. in my opinion. I, look, if he wanted an answer, he could have gotten one. Um, the you know the Dallas Cowboys have a, an MRI machine at the stadium, so guys can get MRI'd at halftime. Wow. Uh, and results. Yeah, I mean, quickly. results require someone to read it. So, right, right. And that takes literally minutes for a radiologist. So, um, uh, you know, you you are the NN running team. You are, like, they can get someone to do this, right? Um, they could have easily pulled some strings. Whether they did or didn't, whether they wanted to or not is a different discussion. Um, whether he even had a leg problem, I'm not going to say he did or didn't. I'm not going to pass judgment. No. But, like, it, everybody's looking for a reason he didn't do well. And, hey, I had a leg problem. Like, that is enough. But also, if he doesn't say that, then what does he say? Right? If could have been could have been cramping as well. Yeah, could have just been a really bad muscle cramp. Anything like could have been a weird little muscle strain. Could have been anything. But you know, so um, yeah, it's just a really tough one of like where this lies because you do have this obligation to media, right? And Ailish is a good example. I know um, a couple of years ago, Bikili came out to London and ended up did not he ended up not starting, and it was just like he did his press conferences beforehand. So obviously, he had done that. And, fulfilled all his media obligations and then didn't start. It was the year he was meant to have a showdown with Kipchoge and he didn't end up starting. And everyone was really disappointed. It's like, well, should he have not come if he wasn't done that? What, what does he say? When does he pull the trigger to pull out? Like, that's such a difficult thing to sit there and talk about. And those people who've run marathons know that, Jesus, some mental demons beforehand, right? Every ache is like a potential whatever and uh, you're never really sure how you're going until you're finished. So, yeah, it's such a bit of a fragile place mentally for even the strongest runners mentally. So you can appreciate them not wanting to turn up as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I shared my thoughts on a previous, on the Boston episode about it being a little bit of a strange excuse uh, because when we watched it live, I don't think, you know, panel of 10 people watching the race, all 10 wouldn't have said, Oh, that seems like something's wrong with him yep. when he got dropped. Yep. Uh, even when he ran into the end, there was absolutely zero indication of an injury. That's weird. Yeah. To me, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, random stab in the dark guess, and by the time this is released, we may have already had the answer. So yeah. apologies if this is old news, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was uh, a case of just a, a pretty bad muscle cramp. Yeah, 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 something like that. I mean, the only other thought that comes to mind with this sort of insidious pain that starts upper leg, like it's like, does he have a stress fracture um, or a stress reaction? It seems unlikely, given his loading is really meticulous and he's he's got a lot of history to not have that. Yeah. But um, it's never out of the question. So. Mm. yeah hopefully not hopefully we don't know the answer and it just it's one of those weird things that happened and now he's fine yeah and he cracks on and goes going again yep what else happened at Boston uh yeah someone ran onto someone else's front lawn and took a big old poop apparently made so, the news yeah it made, well it made a reddit forum that what a hero caught, caught the news um there's some footage from a camera there so if you go with there's a link here that goes to a uh, runner's world article um and then in there oh sorry uh yeah it's a runner's world article and then in there, there's a link to the Twitter of the person's front. Like it's obviously like a ring camera or something similar. And you can see this person runs in or is already in there taking a poop. Somebody like a spectator or somebody, perhaps the person who lives there walks in. <laughs> there's a bit of a conflict and they sort of, the runner runs out through the bushes. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a bit of a thing. Um, I've got nothing but empathy for this person. We've all probably needed to, you know, had a bit of urgency on the run and uh, and try to find a portaloo. I mean, race portaloos are pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably would have chosen a portaloo myself, but yeah. I mean, there are no shortage of portaloos, although Boston's a bit of a funny one. I don't know where this was on Boston's course, but you know, it's not like a major marathon where they, 
it, it's a little bit easier to get portaloos out because it's sort of around a city or whatever. This is between multiple cities along a course and it's point to point and all that. And they probably have them in the big cities and not a lot of other places. And you don't want to lose time and all that stuff. But yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a rough one for the person who lives there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for those that have listened to the Sweat Elite podcast, I've had Tyce Nyhurst on from Denmark, who, from what I understand, please do let us know in the, in the uh, DMs if you know of a faster marathon time while taking a pit stop. Uh, he ran 210.52 uh, with a complete stop on the side of the road. Uh, very similar case. I don't think he went to anyone's backyard. I think it was literally just on the side of the road at Seville in 2020. Uh, ran the Olympic qualifying time at the time. Uh, and he, I think he worked out by looking at his Strava that he was completely stationary for about 26 seconds. It's pretty, uh, pretty yeah. quick uh, yeah. evacuation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I know. Uh, that's Ellie, the fastest marathon I've ever heard of that has to, that had to take a, a, yeah. a pit stop. Ellie Pashley, uh, the uh, Australian uh, Olympic Games representative, ran a 225-ish or 226, a PB at the time having to take a pit stop. Uh, I know that for a fact. Uh, she mentioned that. And uh, also uh, Ant from uh, Precision, I can't remember his surname, but uh, he, you know, at Manchester, ran 230 and change, having to have a oh, pit four. stop. Yeah, yeah having to have a pit stop. So it's devastating for him. I think he worked out he was probably about a minute or two. So it's yeah, oh, a bit, bit rough. Maybe, maybe not quite so much time, but, you know, enough to get him under 230 uh, yeah. if he hadn't done that. So... Yeah, it's pretty rough. I mean, look, I'm from the trail running world as well. Uh, many people run with all sorts of things in their pack for these sort of situations because you know GI problems on the trail are real, and uh, you have to. I've definitely had to pack some uh, pack, you know, take some stuff out via the pack. Uh, hmm. There's been a couple of times where I had some nutrition that I was that I did homemade that I had to finish quickly so that I could use that to grab the uh, the wet wipes to take them out so yep. I didn't leave them in the in the uh, bush. So. You know, these things happen. Uh, it's pretty rough. Uh, yeah. Thoughts and uh, thoughts are with people who have to do this stuff. But <laughs> yeah. I'm very uh, fortunate that I've never had to – yeah, I'm, I'm blessed with a strong stomach, so I haven't had that situation happen yet. But let's, uh, uh, let's might just, be coming soon. It's a crappy situation. We both have, we both have a marathon coming up, so we'll, uh, we'll see. Yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a crappy situation. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, what other big events have just recently happened? We've had April full of big – Big marathon race. I feel like April and October are the yeah. two sort of big months of marathons. So it's exciting to see there were some really quick times at Rotterdam. Yep. Uh, just recently. Uh, so obviously this po- this podcast uh, we we tend to bank podcasts. So this will be out a couple of weeks later. But um, yeah, we saw from what I heard uh, wasn't the best conditions uh, there. I heard it was a bit windy, uh, yeah. but still a two o three for. Um, Bashir Abdir, yeah. yeah, and then Timothy Kiplagat, uh, who won uh, <coughs> Melbourne Marathon last year, went 2.03.50, uh, so a couple of seconds, that was a sprint finish, that was a great finish, and then Abni Nagy, uh, who previously won Rotterdam, ran 2.05.32, so Bashir Abdi and Abdi Nagy were silver and bronze at the Olympics, I believe, and mm. perhaps the they reverse were. order at the World Championships, so... Yep. Uh, pretty impressive runners, uh, both, I think, and then running team, uh, one in Belgium, one in Netherlands, uh, obviously not in originally from those countries. I think they're from Kenya, both of them, originally. Mm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, yeah, cool to see. They train together. Uh, it's really cool to see that. Obviously, a big pull to the Dutch marathons for re, you know Benelux runners mm. uh, because of NN running team sponsoring, uh, or NN, National Nederlander, the insurance company sponsoring the NN running team as well as this marathon. And probably some extra appearance fees for for the local guys and girls, similar to uh, what happens with you know American marathons, etc. Yeah. Um, but the fast course we've both run it. Um, 
obviously wind would be a factor on it, but it's kind of a big loop and a small loop, so it's not terrible when it's windy. Um, the sort of small loop, the northern part of it, which is 10Ks, is a little bit more sheltered. Um, you're pretty exposed across the bridge a couple times and, and out some of the, um, the initial 30 kilometres or so. Uh, but good course for those who are interested. Obviously fast, 203, 220 for the women, um, which is good. Um, pretty impressive. So um, There's also a quick uh, time from Cohen Nart, 206. It's yep. pretty rare to see a non-African run 206 or faster. Yep. I feel like that's uh, not super common. Yep. He, he broke his best time of 207. I think it was 207.23 or 33, and he went. He dipped under the 207 and went 206. There's a really cool video on Instagram floating around of um, Bashir sort of cheering him in and giving him a high five over the line. That's uh, cool. But, yeah, I mean, we don't see 206s or faster from uh, from Europeans or Australians yep. or Americans too too often, so yep. good to see. Yeah, I know he did a build-up in Kenya. He posted some really cool stuff on his Instagram, actually, uh, about some long training sessions that he was doing. He did a 41K run. Random. <laughs> no, I don't know why not 40 or 42, but 41, where it was, yeah, at some ridiculous pace. I think he did a bunch of 5K reps at 308 pace up at altitude. So, yep. yeah. Yep. And then we had in the women's race, we had Eunice uh, Chumba win it in 220.31. Uh, Dolce Tefu uh, in 221.35. And then Rose Chalimo, uh, who's previously done pretty well, a couple of major marathons, uh, world champs, Olympic Games uh, in 226.21. So, Fast times all around there, probably, um, yeah, it's hard to say. Like, it's, it's not really fair to say these people are like off the top tier, right? We were just expecting, what, 217 in the women's, 218 in the women's, or, you know, what, 202, 203 in the men's, but like, that's not the reality and it's not realistic, particularly on, in, you know, Rotterdam is pretty temperamental weather-wise, like the whole Netherlands is. It's quite a windy place. It can easily be pretty warm, pretty cold, windy, rainy. Like, these things would all be within the realms of possibility for sure, and, then, you know, are you going to get pacemakers? Probably not. Uh, you know, where are the packs? Well, there's probably not going to be packs for a long time. Um, so these are sort of marathons where I think um, if you're in the sub-elite field, you've got a really good chance to do well. Mm. In the elite field, it's probably going to be solo for a long time. Um, and look, running solo is hard. Yeah. It's really, really tough. Um, I haven't done tons of it, but, you know, when with a pack and a band snaps, like, yeah, geez, that's really difficult to oh, yeah. keep going, keep holding pace, that sort of thing. That actually happened to me in Rotterdam. I was sort of solo from probably 35 Ks for, you know, just when it's really getting bad for a handful of Ks and yeah, it's rough. It's amazing how much of an effect that has when you're, when you're deep in the hurt locker, how much, it's just so much more, so much more difficult when you're alone than if you've got a bunch of people just ahead of you or even if it's just next to you. I tell this story often that when I ran my best uh, 220.46, I was lucky to have a guy to run with, not even behind him, I was side by side. Uh, through until it was right around 28. Yeah. Uh, he kicked on and ran 216. He closed extremely fast and ran yeah. really fast in the last 10K. He was um, His last 10K was really fast. But when I looked at my pace graph afterwards on Strava, <clears throat> as soon as he dropped me, I started going four to five seconds per kilometer slower yeah. instantly. And I didn't even actually feel like I was going slower yeah. until about 37. Yeah. But at 28 to 37, I went from 317s to like 321s, 322s yeah. straight away because I was on my own. Yeah. And I felt like I held pace. Yeah. So it's, um yeah, it's fascinating how that works. Yeah, there's definitely uh, an increase in RPE, rating of perceived exertion for the mm-hmm. same output um, across the marathon, of course, but also uh, the difference between running with and without people. I've definitely seen this... Uh, running in groups, uh, you know, I've done runs with you or whatever. And, and I generally train solo and when you're running with somebody else, it feels much easier. Um, so it's definitely like a bit of a, uh, ergogenic effect of that. Um, and that can go both ways. If you're trying to slow down, 
it might actually be a bad thing, mm. right? And if you're trying to, you know, just run to pace and you don't really care what the pace, run to feel and don't really care what pace and that sort of stuff, then there maybe is an advantage to it and, and maybe training and that's part of the group effect. I think that's when you look at um, training camps, of course, often at altitude, so yes, altitude might help, but group effect, simplifying your life, not having external stresses, these sort of things really important for performance uh, and your ability to absorb training. So there's, you know, it's always more complicated than we think it is, but, uh, you know, that sort of stuff's really, really important. So uh, perhaps these times, I'm underestimating how good these times are. Um, and these are really impressive given, you know, to run 2.20.31 um, for Eunice Chumba, pretty much solo. She was, you know, a minute clear. So I don't know where she made that break. It's foreseeable that she made it late, but also it's foreseeable she made it pretty early and then mm-hmm. held it. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive running, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think last year was one in, you know, a slower time than this. Um, so I know, I think Ninka Brinkman got top three last year in like 225-ish. So, um, you know, impressive uh, nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one thing I've been meaning to ask you, Dave, you briefly briefly uh, spoke to me about uh, your experience using the new Morton product. Yep. That's a bit of a mysterious thing for people. Uh, you know, we've been used to the caffeine and the carbohydrates. So yep. This is a whole new thing. What is it? And uh, you've been using it in training. What's your What are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's the Morton bicarb stuff. So I guess... The crux of what Morton did when they were initially came to market was they had a hydrogel technology to encase the carbohydrates purportedly to reduce GI upset and help you absorb carbohydrate um, quicker. So instead of using the transporters in the gut that you would normally use to absorb carbohydrate, it gets absorbed with this uh, hydrogel around it such that it can cross the barrier without using those transporters. So it's less GI upset and easier. This is the theory. Uh, As a long time, there wasn't much proof of this aside from um, the elite saying it and that's challenging in itself right so one of the problems you have is one of the things I often have and I've stolen from someone else and I can't give credit because I don't remember who um, might be cute when I'm flat but basically like success leaves clues right so if enough people are doing something especially if they're elites um, you start to go like okay maybe when there's smoke there's fire the converse of that is like placebo effect is real and you know it's a copycat world especially in sports so yeah it's kind of hard but I knew enough people who were using it when they were paid to use other products that I thought actually there might be something in this. And Morton knew this as well because they make blank packaging for people. So um, there is a little bit more research around the gels and their benefit perhaps now. Um, that is what it is. Uh, the same technology then was used in case bicarbonate. And basically when you buy the system, I think they did a really good job with the product, which is the product is the whole thing, which is also the experience for you. So you unbox this thing and you, scan the QR code and then it gives you the, when do you want to run and what are you trying to do and what's your experience of bicarb. And so beforehand you set up your experience of bicarb and they give you a specific dosing to buy. Then you buy this, you get four doses, you go on the website, you plan it all out. It tells you when to take this stuff. Basically you mix what's very similar to their, probably somewhere between their gel and their drink mix in terms of consistency. You mix this stuff up. There's like component A is just the tub and then there's B. You put water in it, you put component B in it, it makes this hydrogel and you can leave that. And then you add these bicarb tablets just before you have it. It's a bunch of little pellets and you eat it out, but you're not allowed to chew the tablets, which is really difficult. They remind mm-hmm. me of those little mint musks things you probably grew up with. So, um, yeah. So I tried that. I figured, look, I'm in the industry. It's something I'm interested in. So I tried it. Uh, I tried it before a couple of big marathon sessions. Um, one of them was a, a session I used. I stole from uh, MTC, Sinead Diver specifically, which is our easy... Uh, 10k threshold, uh, 10 by a minute hard minute easy, 5k fast, and I figured it might help there given you know some of that minute on minute off and 5k fast is, is quite high intensity. And I definitely felt better doing that and um, and felt really good 
going hard at the end of that 5K. That said, uh, comparing to my, and, and my, my data was better, but of course I'm trained better and it's a, it's a uh, build up into a spring marathon, not a build up into an autumn marathon, which is very different. And that's probably the biggest factor in that. That session has gone, I've done that session a handful of times and it's generally gone better for me going into spring marathons and then fall marathons, probably for obvious sense in terms of weather conditions. I then use it the next week for a three by 10 K at marathon effort with one K float between, um, probably didn't feel the same benefit there. Um, and it's also hard to know because I generally do these sessions fasted. Now I'm taking this Morton bicarb stuff and yeah, now I've got 40 grams of carbs on beforehand. So no surprises, I go better. Um, so yeah, look, the research behind Morton is uh, so behind bicarb in general is old and it's very good for sprints and uh, high intensity stuff. It's less good for endurance stuff uh, or sort of longer term stuff. Listening to Killing Jornet talk about it, and again, he's paid by the company. So it's always a bit skeptical as he, he talks about, he felt a bit better with the taking it for like uh, sort of coordination and efficiency. But there's also an argument that he felt better because he had to go uphill hard. When you look at where he had it in the race in UTMB, just before an enormous climb over Grand Col Foray and then running down it. So maybe that's why it works. It's obviously been used in higher intensity stuff like Keely Hodgkinson in 800 meters. That makes sense where it would work. So hard to know. Um, I don't know where I lie with it, where I stand with it. Like I'm happy I tried it. Uh, it's expensive though, isn't it? Oh, it's super expensive. I mean, look, all the Morton stuff is expensive. That's, that is that is what it is. So, you know, is it, I don't think it's necessary nor sufficient to run a good marathon. Um, but if you're an 800 meter runner and you can't tolerate bicarb normally, then that makes sense. And that is the problem. I remember in my undergraduate, we did some testing, you know, and this is the early 2000s. We were in a sports science course. We did, you know, you got to choose how you, you designed a protocol, choose, chose what to test and, and went for it and, and in groups. And our, all the groups chose caffeine. We all tested caffeine. And one of these groups with this poor sucker chose to do bicarb. He did repeated Wingate tests. A Wingate test is basically as hard as you can go for 30 seconds against a, uh, some resistance. That's a percentage of your body weight on a bike. And it's just horrible. It's like the worst 30, 30 second effort you could do. Uh, and he repeated 30 second efforts and they make you feel bad enough. And he was vomiting from that, but then he had diarrhea from the bicarb. So, um, you know, he was on the toilet with a you know bin in his lap. So the point I'm making is bicarb can irritate your stomach. And that's the reason that some people don't use it. Um, the evidence is good for higher intensity stuff. Does the bicarb, the Morton stuff work? Dunno. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know if I'll be buying more of it, but mm. I enjoy playing with it and, you know, it might be worth a look for some people if they're interested and they're doing higher intensity stuff. If we've got listeners who are, you know, 10K or whatever, uh, 5K, then maybe that's the, that's where it is. Oh, thanks for your little summary there. I mean, the, the you know, just to round up, uh, I, I heard something along the lines of sixteen to twenty dollars a pop. So if it's not uh, if it's not something that's really moving the needle for people, it, it's different if it's a couple of bucks. Yeah. Um, but in this case, yeah, I don't know. I haven't tried it, um, yeah. but I'd be keen to give it a go. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, look, interesting stuff. But uh, yeah, I might buy some more to play with it. But if I let's put it this way, if I couldn't get all of it, I wouldn't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like I don't love spending the money on it like that. But um, <clears throat> as I said, it's not really made for marathons as much as it might be pitched that way, and everyone wants to think it does. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. I think that'll close us out for this week. But, uh, you know, thanks again for listening. Please let us know what you thought of this episode. Um, send us a DM and let us know if you want us to do more like this. Um, if you want us to do less like this, you can send us that in a DM as well. Uh, that's, you know, completely open to that feedback. Just uh, send us a DM on Instagram and we'll either do more or less of this, depending on what you guys think. But a bit of a roundup. I'm trying to obviously talk about some things topically, but then also you, know, you can't do an episode on someone pooping in. A backyard. So, <laughs> no. Uh, try to touch on a few things at once. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening in.